0: this message blesses and encourages you. Uh, Today, what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit from the book of 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up with me to 1 Samuel. Um, I am going to, I'm going to read, um, I'm actually going to paraphrase. For the sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase verse one through verse 20. I heard that you guys are in a study right now on 1 Samuel, is that true? And I heard you're studying the life of David, is that true? So we're gonna start with the first chapter, a story that precedes the life of David, and we're gonna talk about this woman named Hannah. Have you ever heard of Hannah before? Oh, she's a a hero in the scripture to me, and I love uh, what we see from her in this story. So if you're there, say, I'm there. Verse 1, here we go. There was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah. Everybody say Elkanah. Elkanah. He's the first character of our story today that we are introduced to. And we see that Elkanah is the son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. Now, that is his first mistake. I don't know how in the world he was able to manage two because I'm barely able to manage one. And all the men in here said amen. Yeah, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. So uh, Elkanah has two wives, and one was named Hannah. Everybody say Hannah. So that's our second character today, and she's our favorite of the two wives. And the other was Peninnah. Everybody say Peninnah. And she's our next character. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, we know we like Hannah Uh, but Hannah is childless, and then we meet this other wife, and her name is Peninnah, but we see that her womb has been fruitful. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. So it's kind of like an annual conference, kind of like we had this weekend where there's a summit. So every year, everyone would go to the conference where they would sacrifice unto the Lord. Verse 4, And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Everybody say double portion. Now, if you've been in church for a while, when somebody reads a scripture about a double portion, you just you can't help but to get excited, right? This is Christian language. Double portion, yes, God, right? A double portion was given to Hannah because, or excuse me, to Hannah, not Peninnah, to Hannah, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Now, I think it's interesting to note that it was God that had closed her womb. And her rival, everybody say her rival. So I guess it's a competition here. Her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord, we see it again, has closed her womb. So this goes on year after year. And as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Now, this is a rhetorical question. He might as well have been asking, am I not more to you than a thousand sons? Right? He's saying, hey, I'm a well-meaning person trying to cheer you up. Let's all say this part together. He was a well-meaning person. All right, I'm having us note these things uh, for a reason, and you'll see that in just a moment. So now after uh, they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose up. Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed. Everybody say she was desperate. She prayed to the Lord. She wept bitterly, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. He'll be a Nazarite. He'll be consecrated unto the Lord. And as she continued praying before the Lord, the priest Eli observed her mouth. Now Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Everybody say she was desperate. Have you ever looked like this in church before? Somebody's like, man, that person must have been drinking last night because they look crazy. But you were just seeking God. She was desperate. Verse 14, Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away. Hannah said, no, my Lord, I'm, I'm a woman. I'm troubled in spirit. I've not drunk wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Everybody say she was desperate. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Well, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad, which is what happens to me whenever I go away and eat as well, you know. You ever break a fast and you just, you can't help but to be happy? It's like fish and chips the other night. They rose early in the morning. They worshiped the Lord. They went back to their house, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, the Bible says, Hannah conceived, thank you, Jesus, bore a son, thank you, Jesus, and she called his name Samuel, who is the greatest, uh, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. The Bible says not one of his words fell to the ground. It's very accurate. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The title of the message that I have for you today is an impartation of desperation. An impartation of desperation. Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful that it's everlasting and always transforming. Each and every time before, as we come before your word, God, you are faithful to change us and we are grateful for that. So God, I ask today that you would transform us more into the image of your son, Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen, amen. So um, I know I read a lot of scripture, is that okay? A lot of scripture. I'm a bit of a Bible nerd, and so I love to read scripture, a lot of it, and when I do read the Bible, I cannot help myself but to do I would say like unusual research about things that most people are not interested in. So when I read the story of Elkanah and Peninnah and Hannah, one of the things that I like to do when I read people's names in the Bible is look them up in the original language to see what their names actually mean. Does anybody else do this? And when I find a term in the Bible that I don't know what it means... I love to go to Google and ask for a definition of the word so that I can get the world's definition of the word and then go to Bible dictionaries and get God's definition of the word so that I can choose God's better definition rather than the world's definition of a word, all right? So I'm a nerd. I'm going to admit it. I'm a geek. If I had some glasses, I'd push them up and just dive right in. And so when I looked up the names of the characters in our story today, Elkanah and Peninnah and Hannah, I learned something about this woman named Peninnah, that her name actually means a sharp corner. You know, the thing that you run your shoulder into when you're going too fast around a wall? A sharp corner, like, ouch! Some of you right now are thinking about people in your life that are pinanas. because when you run into them at the supermarket, you can't help but to say, ouch, that lady is a Peninnah. That fella is a Peninnah. I don't want to be around them because they're so sharp and they're always hurting me. Well, that's what Peninnah means. She was a sharp, painful Woman, but if you look at Hannah, the word, uh, the name Hannah means to show favor or to be gracious, and that's why we love Hannah because she's the favored one. She's the one that has the grace of the Lord up on her life. Now I don't know about you, but I feel like a Hannah this morning. I have favor. I have grace. Amen. Anybody else in here? You're like, yeah, that's me. That's me. I, I've got grace and favor on my life, and yet. Despite the reality of the grace and the favor that rest upon your life, sometimes we go through seasons where we feel barren, just like Hannah. We're like, Lord, you've spoken good things over my life, but when I look at my surroundings, I cannot figure out why. I am not fruitful. Anybody ever been there before? And at the same time that you are barren, you are looking at people who feel like your rival, Peninnah, who are hurting you, they're sharp with their words, they're hurting you with their bad character, and yet for some reason, unbeknownst to us, God has chosen to open up their wombs and allow them to be fruitful. You know what I'm talking about? You ever come to church before and the very thing that you have been praying and fasting about, God gives it to somebody else? Isn't that an interesting experience? Because you're, you're, you know, you're coming up for worship and you're like pressing into Jesus and you're believing God for great things and then you look over to the other side of the sanctuary and despite the fact you've been fasting, you know they've been feasting. You saw them on Instagram or Facebook and you know, they're just having a blast. They just got back from vacation and God gives them the thing that you're pressing in for. You ever been there before? Ouch. Doesn't it feel like that? But, you know, I believe that whenever God gives the thing that you've been pressing in for to somebody else, it's just a test. It's not that God is withholding from you. He is just investigating your heart to see if you're actually ready to receive the very thing that you've been pressing in for. Because he wants to see if he gives it to somebody else, are you going to choose jealousy or are you going to choose celebration? So whenever... Hannah sees Peninnah having this experience. She gets very, very desperate, and she goes to church, right? Now, this word, desperation, which I had you guys repeat on purpose and an impartation of desperation, is like one of those churchy words that when we hear it, we celebrate because we say, yes, God, pick me. I want to be desperate for you. I want an impartation of desperation, It's kind of like that word, double portion. Yes, God, I want a double portion. Give it to me, Lord. You know what I'm saying? Like if you've been in church for a while, you may remember the song, uh, I'm desperate for you. I don't sing very well, but I do worship. Uh, I'm desperate for, this is the air I breathe. Y'all know that one? And so desperation is a bit of a church word. Now, I I told you I was a nerd, right? So whenever I started to study desperation because God dropped it in my spirit, I went to Google and I looked for a definition of desperation. And here's what Google said. It said, having lost hope, moved by despair, extreme suffering, and intense anxiety. And I was like, that's terrible. I rebuke that definition. I don't want that. Now, I'm excited to go to the Bible dictionary and learn what desperation means in the Scripture. Now, desperation is not always, like, very visible in the Scripture, but there are a lot of different words that allude to desperation. And when I looked up what desperation means in biblical terms, this is what the definition is. Having lost hope, moved by despair, extreme suffering, and intense anxiety. It's the same definition in both the Bible and the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And I was like, how could this be, God? We're always crying out to you for a gift of desperation. I'm desperate for you. And I mean, I'm like, Lord, you mean to tell me that this prayer I've been praying for years is to, to, to lose hope, to have anxiety, to have extreme suffering? No! And yet, at that time, I felt like God continued to speak to me and say, ask me for the gift of desperation. We were, we were in a worship uh, service one Sunday morning, and uh, our executive pastor, Brian, he's also a worship leader, and, and as he was singing, I could see it on his face. He just, he hit his knees, and he, he went down, and he began to pray, and, and he just pushed the microphone away from himself, and he was just crying out to God in the middle of the worship set. And as I saw this, the Holy Spirit said, go give this word to Brian. I leaned over and I whispered in his ear and I said, hey man, the Holy Spirit told me to tell you that you will be as anointed as you are willing to be desperate. God's giving you a gift of desperation and One of the reasons why I love the gift of desperation despite its definition is that it's a cyclical gift that the Spirit will give us an impartation of desperation so that we can give Jesus the gift of our desperation. It's an active love sickness. We're saying, God, I'm so desperate for you. I want you more than I want my next meal. I need you more than my next breath. I want you more than anything else. You are what I want the most. I'm desperate for you. If you don't show up for me today, Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to do. I might die. Anybody been there before? That's where Hannah is in the scripture. She's, she's, she's on her last She's like, I can't take it anymore. I've been going to this conference every year. I've been crying out to God every single Sunday. I've been going to church. I've been interceding. I've been living a pure life, and yet I feel like I'm barren. I'm fruitless. I don't have what my enemies have. What is happening in my life? Some of you guys might be there this morning. Has anybody ever been there ever? Man, if you've been walking with Jesus for two months, you've been there, right? Because being a Christian, you don't become a Christian because it makes you happy. You become a Christian because it's true. Right? I, I, I think I read one time C.S. Lewis, he said, he said, I didn't become a Christian to become happy. I always knew a bottle of pork could make me happy. I just think that's funny. <laughs> we become Christians because it's true, Right? And, and we go through these seasons like, like Hannah where we're like, I went to a young adult's conference. I received a prophetic word that I was blessed and I have grace and favor on my life. What is happening? What's going on? Well, as I looked up this definition of desperation, I thought maybe the best biblical definition of desperation can come from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1-20. through 20. Let me give you some attributes of desperation if you look at Hannah. She's deeply distressed, She weeps bitterly. She's afflicted. She appears to be drunk. She gets rebuked by her pastor. She's troubled in her spirit. She has anxiety, and she considers herself to be vexed. If that fits the description of where you're at today, let me tell you, you are desperate and... It's okay, it's biblical, you get to give an offering today that none of the rest of us get to give God because you get to worship in the midst of your desperation and say, God, here's my desperation, I am dependent. All right, it's biblical if you're deeply distressed, bitter, afflicted. You may, you may be so emotional that people look at you and say, you must be drinking. Like, that's what Hannah looked like. But you can't stay desperate in your attitude. You've got to move into some desperate actions. And that's what we see Hannah doing here. And here's what she does. She fasts. You you guys fast in Ireland? I know you do. We fast, right? We're Christians. We're willing to push away the plate, not because we want to be hungry in the natural, but because we want to be more hungry for God in the Spirit. And so we set time aside to eat bread that the world knows not of. So that's what Hannah does. She fasts. What else does she do? She goes to God's house to pray on the porch. Service wasn't even happening, but she was so desperate. She said, I got to get to God's address. I got to go to church. So if you're desperate, get in the house. If you're desperate, do what Hannah did. In verse 10, she prays to the Lord. And she prayed oddly enough to look drunk, by the way, which is crazy. She vows a vow. She makes promises in prayer. She petitions for a son. That's a specific petition for God to answer her prayer in a specific way. It's interesting to me that we'll pray with a desire for God to respond specifically, but we'll only pray like wholesale. If it, we we don't want general answers from God, so we don't pray general prayers. If you need something specific from God, you speak specifically to him in prayer. God, I want a son. I want a new job. I need a new job. I'm desperate. I need a healing in my body. I'm desperate. You with me? She vows a vow. She petitions for a son, and she pours out her soul to God in public. Now, there's something about desperation that is quite primitive, isn't it? Because whenever you're desperate No one can control you. When you're desperate, I mean, you look kind of crazy. Am I right? When you're desperate, you do weird things. Like when I first got saved, I got saved uh, out of a, a drug addicted lifestyle. I know today, you know, I've got my pressed, green striped rugby shirt on, and so I seem as though I'm very put together. But less than 20 years ago, I was living in a car, I was a heroin addict been arrested more times than I can count. I was in a mental institution when I was 20 years old. That's my story. That's where Jesus saved me from. All right, I want you guys to know that. All right, I might look cleaned up today, but where Jesus brought me from was a desperate place. And when I first got into church, I did not know how to behave. I didn't know the motions, the the choreography. I didn't know that whenever Pastor Darren is doing the tithe, you're not allowed to be at the altar. I was that weird guy that the pastors always had to talk to because it was like a joy service. Yay, like we're dancing, and I'm on the ground over here going through a box of Kleenex just crying, God, I'm desperate, and people are like, what's wrong with this guy, and then like, you know, travail hits the meeting, and everybody's crying out to God, oh, we're desperate, and I'm over here like, yeah, let's go, and they're like. You don't know how to act in church, bro. What's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. I got it. Nobody gave me the rules. That's what desperation does to a person. You start looking strange to everybody else. Who is this guy? This is why I love new converts. This is why I love brand new Christians, because they mess up all of our traditions. They mess up all of our formalities, because it, it's hard to abide by formalities when you're in love. I would say it like this, and this is the way my memo used to say it. Y'all probably don't have mammals in Ireland, but that's grandmothers. In Kentucky, we got mammals and papaws. Y'all ever heard of that? Never. Okay, yeah, I didn't figure so. And, and, and you know what she would say? A hungry man has no manners. Man, I don't care about people's opinions of me. I don't care if you clip me, put me on social media, turn me into a meme. It doesn't matter to me. I'm in this for God. I'm desperate for God. When's the last time that you ever got so desperate that the people in the pew next to you were like, what's wrong with this guy? Whoa, sis, hey, sister, you don't even got to do all that. And you just ought to look at them and say, you don't know my story, man. You don't know what I need. I'm petitioning for a son. I'm barren. I'm fruitless. And there's this lady in my life that's a pin in her. And I keep running into her, and every time I do, it's like, ouch. You know, in order to stay desperate, you've really got to deal with some distractions. Because the devil always wants to distract us from desperation and get us to become polite, you know, Christians that just... The inside might be chaos, but the outside looks so clean. Right? Like, you're in a fight. You're in an active fight with your spouse in the car on the way to church, and then you come in, and the sister that's been here since 1985 greets you at the front because I met her today. And uh, you shake her hand and she's like, How are you doing? And you're like, Oh, praise the Lord. We're doing wonderful. We're blessed and highly favored. Y- yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like we lose that desperation. Why do we, what is it that the devil distracts us with to get us to, lo- to lose that desperation? Can I tell you, one of the things he uses is competition and comparison. Competition and comparison. That's why I, ha- I had you guys repeat that. Her rival? Yeah, her rival, because uh, when you look that word up in the Hebrew, rivalry, competition, you might be surprised as to what it means. It means a tight or a narrow space. And that clearly describes, in my opinion, what your life looks like Whenever you start making your goal competition with one of your spiritual siblings, your world gets very small. No longer do you fulfill the call of God on your life, stepping into open spaces as your inheritance, but you get very tight, very, very narrow. You're just so focused. I've got to, I've got to beat this pin in my life. I've got to beat. I've got to prove to that brother over there that I'm better than him and, and her. I'm more spiritual than her. You ever been there before? I know, I know we like to pretend like we're, we never get there, but the truth is, like I'm almost 20 years deep and I can tell you I've been there plenty of times. There was one time this church in my city was blowing up and everybody was leaving my church to go to their church and uh, I was so jealous. I'll just be honest with you. So you know what I did? I set my alarm in the morning to 4.30 a.m. And I said, Lord, I'm going to get up at 4.30 because I can guarantee those pastors are not up at 4.30. And so I'm going to be the first one that prays to you in the morning in my city. Heaven's going to hear my voice first. And I I can just imagine the Lord's like, Bro, what are you doing? Like, so you're telling me, you're telling me that by stepping on your spiritual siblings, that communicates to me that you are ready to receive my blessing. No, of course not. All that communicates to God is that He's gonna have to protect my spiritual siblings from me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I want you to bless me, God. Well, I, I'm kind of occupied protecting your siblings. From your competition and comparison, and that is always the bait of Satan, to say, here you go, take competition and comparison and start to live your life in a narrow place. So we don't, if you're distracted today by competition and comparison, we're gonna flush that. We're gonna let that go in Jesus' name, all right? We're gonna let that go in Jesus' name. Now, you know, I think one of the other things that's a distraction to desperation, and this might be unbelievable to you, but you know what I think it is? A double portion I believe that it's possible that a double portion is actually a distraction to desperation. Now, I know double portion is a very popular church language, and we all cry out to God for it, but, you know, a double portion is plenty for most people, and if you give them double of what they actually need, they'll hush. I know this sounds a little crazy, but perhaps...